Welcome in to a Wednesday morning edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. We definitely did not just record an hour of trade bag content that we forgot to hit record on and are now doing it again at 11.43 at night. I'm Kevin Shaw alongside Alex Wolf. Uh, we got some great trades for you guys today. First one, not super realistic, but we will go into it. Maybe the Knicks could acquire Ricky Rubio. And then um, one of my favorite trades on the whole day, the Knicks could get a guy known as both Big Ragu and Delaware Michael Jordan. Yeah, and then next we'll get into a little deal where the Knicks could potentially get Brad Beal, but this is more looking towards the offseason than the here and now. But it's pretty interesting. It's kind of a, it's a cool thing to explore for sure. And then the next trade after that is one where the Knicks get Jabari Parker and a whole bunch of other moving parts. So we'll go through that one next. And then we will finish up the show with two more extraordinarily well-constructed trades by Sam Montella, who planned this entire show. Um, the Knicks end up with Derek Favor, which is pretty interesting. And the Utah Jazz, more importantly, somehow get Mike Conley. And then we had to have one, the obligatory Anthony Davis dream trade. To ramp up part one of our trade bag on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind. Count it at one. What he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf with you. And we just spent an hour recording and it did not record. So we are tired, we are wary, we are angry, but we are going to keep going. Um, There's before no we get goddamn to- excuses here, Gavin. We brought this on ourselves. So we're, gonna, we're just going to record a better show now. That's, that's kind of the whole thing, right? We're just going to make it better this time. Got to happen. All right. Uh, and this gives me an opportunity, because I forgot to the first time around, to announce that tomorrow, um, special occasion on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are going live with an NBA trade deadline special. Um, it is Thursday at 1.30 Eastern on YouTube on the Locked On Fantasy Basketball channel. It is going to be hosted by Utah Jazz play-by-play guy and our boss, David Locke and fantasy expert, noted Australian human being, Josh Lloyd, plus all the local experts, including uh, one of your truly, that's right, right? Let's roll with it. Um, one of us will be on <laughs> 135. Um, we're going to break down all the deals, give the fantasy perspective on all those deals, and have the local angles as well. It all starts Thursday, 1.30 Eastern, 90 minutes before the trade deadline on YouTube at the Lockdown Fantasy Basketball channel. All right, with that, Alex, let's get into it. Uh, first trade, um, I would say one that could have been realistic, but due to some deals, uh, possibly no longer is from Neil Yarumian. I'm guessing on that one. And why Aruian? Sure. Um, Courtney, he had Courtney Lee and Noah Vonley going to the Utah Jazz in exchange for Ricky Rubio. Obviously, the Knicks have since acquired DSJ. And um, before that deal, this would have been interesting. Um, now there's no Courtney Lee to trade. The Jazz could probably use a Noah Vonley, but you could make a case that they need a bigger upgrade at that four spot than Vonley and Rubio just doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the Knicks with DSJ on the roster. Yeah, I mean, I think Vonley is definitely a guy that 
that would be a selling point to them, but I don't know if they would be willing to trade Rubio, who plays like close to 30 minutes a game for them, is a pretty, you know, integral part of what they do as a team. You know, they could, I guess that would open up more playing time for Exum and all that, but, you know, Exum just never quite seems like he's quite ready to step into that like featured role, you know? So uh, I, I would say they probably wouldn't do it just for the, the part of parting with Rubio other than, you know, the obvious part of that Courtney Lee isn't available anymore because uh, he's now a Dallas Maverick along with Porzingis and all those guys. But I mean, from the Knicks perspective too, uh, you know, pre Dennis Smith, I think this could have been a cool guy to explore uh, getting Ricky Rubio. I still have this like weird desire to have Ricky Rubio be a Nick ever since like back in the Phil Jackson days when, um, there was that rumor deal where they could have traded Derek Rose for Ricky Rubio straight up allegedly, and they didn't do it. And that was, but then, you know, it came out later on that they wanted, I forget what it was. I don't think they wanted a first, but they wanted like a couple second round picks or something like that, which, you know, I, I would say probably wasn't worth it. So it was fine. But ever since then, I've always sort of wanted Rubio to be a Nick. And I think you would have been a good mentor for Frank Nilakina too. Because he's a guy who, you know, has kind of always had the defense and the passing parts of his game down, but just never has, even to this day, quite put it together on offense yet. Uh, but does so many other things well on the floor that he's a plus player in the NBA today. So I guess, like, from that perspective, I, I do like the idea of this one. However, even at the time, I don't know if I would have necessarily done it, even if it was like on the table for the Knicks. And I certainly don't think the jazz would have done it if we're being realistic. Yeah, I am. I'm a hundred percent with you. And I think the, the better path here is that the Knicks acquire Rubio in like the 2022, 23 season to be the Jason kid to an aging Kevin Durant's uh, Carmelo Anthony. And uh, they just kind of replicate 12, 13. And, and the Knicks have already won um, the last two NBA championships at that point. So it's not, a big deal that uh, Rubio is taking up some cap room. All right, uh, let's move on. This trade, uh, one of my favorites of the bunch. Uh, it comes from Nick and Morty at Nick and Morty on Twitter. Shout out to them. Um, they always give us good content uh, whenever we get the pleasure of interacting with those two. Those one, it's two in the handle. I don't know. All right, uh, he suggests. Thank he. Um, Noah Vonley for Dante, the Big Ragu, the Delaware Michael Jordan. DiVincenzo. And I loved, loved, loved DiVincenzo coming out of the draft. Ridiculous athlete, dead-eye three-point shooter. At least he was on the college level. I think it will eventually translate to the NBA. Um, as Nick and Morty points out, the Bucks do need big man help, especially now that they're shopping Thon McCurr, though you can make a case that someone like DJ Wilson, who's been playing really good basketball late, is theoretically more valuable than Vonley. Um, I would argue, conversely, Vonley's two-way value would be a really nice fit on that super switchable Bucks team. What do you think of that, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I'd be into it. You know, I don't know. Like, DiVincenzo, you know, he's he's signed for a few years, and that's cool. It, it eats, like, very minimally into the Knicks cap space, so I'm not too, too worried about that. He's another asset. You know, he's another guy that was drafted in the first round. Um, he struggled a little bit this year. You know, his percentages are really kind of shitty. Uh, but he definitely has talent. You know, he's, I just, I remember I kind of fell in love with this game, like, 
probably like 90% of the nation during that uh, national championship game that Villanova was in when he was hitting the threes and, you know, going insane. And like uh, you, you saw the defensive intensity from him. And I don't know. I, I remember going into the draft last year, I was sort of hoping that he would be a guy that would be available in the range of the pick that the Knicks wound up taking Mitchell Robinson with. And then as it turned out, he got drafted like way, way earlier than that because his draft stock improved so much from a good combine and all that stuff. So I was always intrigued by him. I'm definitely happier with Mitchell Robinson now than him. Like I I wouldn't trade Mitch for him straight up, but uh, that's like a whole different thing. But uh, to trade Vonley for him, I mean, that's, I would say better return than if you would say trade Vonley for a second round pick uh, more or less. And, you know, that's, about what I've considered to be a fair return if you move fondly before the the deadline. So I think this one would be really good. And then, like, from a Bucks perspective, it would most importantly keep Noah Vonley from getting traded to some team where he could be defending Giannis in the playoffs because, like, honestly, out of all the guys that have defended Giannis this year, Vonley is one of the ones that gives him the most fits. So I, I think... Even from that perspective, the Bucks might enjoy employing Noah Vonley rather than having to play against him at some point during the playoffs. Yeah, I guess the question is, um, and we mentioned this the first time around, is just how much do the Bucks value DiVincenzo? He hasn't played a minute for them since January 1st, but given the type of team they are this year, that's not all that surprising, and it's not necessarily an indictment on DiVincenzo's abilities. Um, with that, we will wrap up our first segment We will come back um, talking about our favorite Twitter handle and an absurd trade that he suggests that um, we will eventually find interesting. I think that's a fair prediction. And then we will go to our trade czar, the brilliant Samuel Montello, who sent us three relatively reasonable, well-constructed trade. The first of those will be in our second segment next on Locked on Knicks. Welcome back in Locked on Knicks trade bag part one, part three, if you count the one that we thought we had the recording button on we were part way through part two and then we realized that we were not recording not our finest hour but you know what we're human shit happens you know there's there's stuff that happens when you're trying to run this sort of stuff and in this case we were both tired or whatever but anyway let's just get right into the traits because i'm tired of i'm not gonna bring this up any more times that we forgot to record this episode because i think we're What's nice about when you do something once and then you do it again is that you come back and it's buttoned up and you already know what your points are and stuff. And you probably put out a better episode. So enjoy. Um, so our our third trade for this first episode is from Don't Take My Name. At, don't do it. At Don't Take My Name on Twitter. Don't that is, do it. <laughs> that, is, don't do don't, it. that is Don't Take My Name. But it's all in one word. And that's both his... I assume his uh, name and at on Twitter is don't take my name. So we won't take your name, but we will take your trade idea and break it down right now. That idea is Dennis Smith Jr. and the two Dallas picks for Bradley Beal with caveat that this would be in the offseason. So I don't know, like at first blush, this kind of looks like a crazy trade. But the more I sit and think about it, it's kind of interesting as like a framework for something that could potentially happen in one of two scenarios. Those two scenarios would be one, you get Kevin Durant 
in the offseason or something like that, but you don't get Kyrie Irving, that like second part to the equation with that huge lump of cap space that you're going to have. And in the interest of competing with having Durant, maybe you make a trade like this to sort of put another star next to him. And you probably have to give up a little more than just Dennis Smith and the two picks. But like, ultimately, that's probably a good starting point. And you can maybe even get away with Dennis Smith, like, I don't know, Frank Nilakina and the two picks. And that maybe that would be enough if the Wizards go kind of in the selling mode and decide to get rid of guys like Beal and Otto Porter now that John Wall is unfortunately going to be out for a full calendar year with a, uh, a torn Achilles from like slipping in his house or whatever, which really sucks for him and for the Wizards and for their fans and everything. But yeah, I mean... I, the more I talk about this trade, the more it's like this could be the reasonable second star if you don't get, you know, someone like Kyrie Irving and you do get a guy like Kevin Durant. Or if you can make the money work, you know, Beal is still on his first uh, rookie scale max extension. So he's making somewhere in like the 25 million range. If you can make the numbers work and get within um within like 80% of that or whatever it works out to then you could potentially add him and make like a big 3 with like a Durant and an Irving and trade some of your young guys and and do it that way so i don't know i'm intrigued by this i yeah i i think it's i think it's a cool idea and i think Beal when you start thinking about things logically could be one of the most like likely third stars that the Knicks could potentially add through trade in the offseason outside of like a long shot like Anthony Davis or something. Yeah, no, I think he's a great fit with both his shooting ability and the fact that he's used to not dominating the ball piece. He's played with Johnny Wall his entire career. Uh, Prayers up to him. I hope he has a quick recovery. And I think there's a good chance he'll be available. So solid uh, foresight from don't take my name. Um, because the Wizards are kind of screwed. Like, they owe Wall over $40 million, like, two of the next three seasons. He's under contract, if I'm remembering correctly, three more seasons after this one, maybe four, if I'm misremembering it. Um, and you got to figure with the Achilles, like, he is most likely never going to be the same player again. And even if he was totally healthy, like, the Beal-Wall backcourt has kind of run his course. And I think Beal, as as good as he is and as good as he's been this season and as young as he still is, like they could wait out these three or four wall years and like he'll still be in his prime. But I think their better option might even be to try and get off Beal to maybe when he's healthy again, somehow find a way to get off of wall and do like a Philly style tankathon. And I don't know if their front office is really inclined that way. But that might be the most logical path at this point, just because they've really dug themselves in quite the hole. And I, I think you make a good point on Beal being sort of both in terms of his contract, which is um, certainly generous, but not exorbitant, um, a good fit and a good fit on the court. And the Knicks have the kind of players and package that would make a whole lot of sense if they got a Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and they were operating from a win-now framework. So I think a lot of those pieces come together. And if you squint hard enough, um, Dennis Smith Jr. is kind of a six-foot-three discount John Wall. Um, I know I've been trashing on this podcast, but just in case um, Ernie Grunfield is listening, I want to hype him up a little bit. I think if the Knicks are smart, they'll like sort of fatten 
DSJ's box scores numbers up the rest of the season to turn him into more of a trade asset and maybe just like let him be like James Harden on this team. It's like, what do you really have to lose at this point and take like 35 shots, um, get like 30 points a game on like 38% shooting and just kind of enjoy the rest of the season that way. So even though I'm only semi-serious about that, I think that's an interesting path forward. All right, let's, let's get into it with our trade czar, uh, Samuel Montella. Uh, no one steal his name either because this guy's a genius. And I think he'll be joining our guy, Spencer, per- Spencer Perlman, in an NBA front office sometime soon because he sent us three genuinely well-constructed trades. Uh, the first one, a three-teamer between the Knicks, Bulls, and Pistons. The Knicks get Detroit's second rounder and uh, everyone's favorite former future Nick, Jabari Parker. The Bulls get uh, Reggie Jackson, uh, the artist formerly known as Ennis Cantor, uh, Stanley Johnson, Detroit's 2019 first-round pick, which has some measure of protection on it. Um, the Pistons end up with Zach Levine and Emmanuel Moody. So I know talking this through with you, Alex, the first time, um, there, there's kind of some unique utility in acquiring Jabari Parker for the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, so Parker, he makes about $20 million this year, and then he has a team option for the second year. So, like, what's interesting with that in terms of how that could work for the Knicks is, like, if you're going into the offseason and let's say you already have, you know, this is, again, all assuming lofty dreams coming true of being able to sign someone like Kevin Durant, and you know wanting to explore your options uh beyond that there's it's kind of inescapable at this point the fact that the fact that something like if it if it happens and Kevin Durant does sign with the Knicks it will be the most telegraphed move in the NBA since LeBron signed with the Lakers last year and like that just goes to prove that like tampering is happening happening all around us in the NBA right now and it's kind of just an open secret that like every team tampers in some way so you know if the Knicks have a good idea before July 1st like that Durant is coming but maybe not that uh, Kyrie Irving is coming or something along those lines they can choose if they get a deal lined up ahead of time to accept Jabari's second year team option which is worth about 20 million dollars and then that gives them like a big chunk of salary to aggregate for like someone like Anthony Davis or or any other big star, Bradley Beal, who we just talked about, you know, that would make it so you could just do Jabari and, you know, someone like Dennis Smith and then the salaries would match up. It just it gives you a lot of possibilities on top of just bringing on, you know, kind of another retread uh, guy that has, you know, he's on his second shot now with the Bulls and that's going with like mixed results and so maybe get him on sort of his third shot with the Knicks to try to make something of his NBA career and then also potentially use him, you know, as a, a trade chip or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. And like, when I look through the whole trade, it's pretty good for the Knicks in a way, because they are really only giving up Moutier and Cantor and they get back Parker and a second rounder. So if you look at it, it's kind of like basically an even swap of Cantor for Parker and then Moutier for a second rounder. I'd say that's kind of a win for the Knicks because with Dennis Smith, they don't necessarily need Moutier anymore, I don't think. I think that Dennis Smith is sort of just like the player that David Fisdale in the front office were wishing Emmanuel Moutier could be all year based off how they've talked about Smith and all that. So I like that part of it. Um, And then for like the Bulls and the Pistons, I could see the Pistons doing it because Levine makes a bunch of money 
uh, Moutier has the restricted free agents free agent rights in the the off season, so they'd be able to sign him to whatever contract they please, really. And they're kind of in cap hell anyway with Drummond and Griffin, and it would be pretty hard to get out from under either of those two without actually like giving assets up. So it's good from their perspective because they can at least try to make the playoffs or whatever, take advantage of whatever window they have with those two big men. And then, yeah, I mean, the Bulls just kind of get crapped on. You know, the Bulls get the, the shit end of the stick here. But ultimately, like, Reggie Jackson's whatever. They're kind of tanking anyway. And his cancer is whatever. He can put up some empty stats for them for the rest of the year. Stanley Johnson, they get, though, a decent a decent piece who's on the last year of his rookie deal, who's going to be restricted free agent. So they can kind of try him out, see if he's someone they want to build around and they get a first round pick that's protected. So, you know, the first round picks are always this anymore in a trade like this, you know, that's usually like the sweetest part of the deal at this point is a first round pick. So they arguably get the best part of the whole deal. Yeah. And Chicago fans get the joy of watching uh, Reggie Jackson and his canter pick and rolls with Stanley Johnson and uh, Lowry Markinen spacing in opposite corners, uh, never, ever to receive the basketball. All right, with that, we will wrap up segment two. We will come back uh, with two more brilliant deals from our guy Sam next. Welcome back. Third and final time on Locked On Knicks. Um, One of your hosts, Gavin Shaw, alongside Alex Wolf, And this one is, again, just very well constructed, fairly interesting. Though I think ultimately the Knicks would probably decide not to do it. Um, There are some elements here that work for the other two teams, so I think it's worth talking about. All right, uh, your New York Knicks in a three-team deal with the Utah Jazz and Memphis Grizzlies get Derek Favors in Utah's 2019 second-round pick. The Memphis Grizzlies get Ennis Cantor, Emmanuel Moutier, again, just another great pick-and-roll combo. Those two already have great chemistry. Uh, Grayson A., or Allen, as he's known by his friends, uh, Rick Rubio, uh, Utah's 2019 first-round pick, and Utah's 2021 first-round pick. And the Jazz, it, for my money, um, they get to become the second-best team in the Western Conference. They get Mike Conley, who is just the perfect point guard to pair with Donovan Mitchell. Noah Vonley for another versatile big off the bench who doesn't take away a whole lot on the defensive end, and another shooter and vet in Garrett Temple. So I like the deal for all parties to a point. Um, I don't know if I think our issue the first time with it was like we weren't sure if the Jazz give up two first round picks, though. I think Conley, like the combination of Conley, Vonley and Temple might make them good enough to the point that they wouldn't even mind risking that. And there's enough upside there with the for the Grizzlies with that 2021 pick that it might be worth doing for them, even if the other guys they bring back aren't all that appealing. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, so first off, Derek Favors, uh, he's he signed to a two year deal. Uh, he signed a two-year, $36 million contract in the offseason, but the second year is completely non-guaranteed. So from the Knicks' perspective, this doesn't do anything to really harm their extra super valuable cap space. So the Knicks essentially just like get rid of one, two, three players and bring back just favors for the rest of the year, probably with the express uh, purpose of you know, waving him at the end of the year and getting out from that second year on his contract and, you know, get a second rounder for their troubles. I do think like the Grizzlies. So the Grizzlies, as of the time that we're recording this are in the process of trading Marcus all apparently to the, uh, 
to the Hornets and it hasn't happened yet. But like it it sounds Shams was making it sound like it's more or less like gonna happen. So I could definitely see them deciding then to just kind of double down and get rid of Conley as well and just flip the switch and rebuild and you know start calling it a day. I, I don't know though that they're gonna be able to get two second round picks for Conley because I just don't think Conley's quite that dude. Like he's a really, really good player, but you know, you're already getting you get Boudier, who's whatever. I mean, that's fine. You get Grayson Allen, who's a guy who's only drafted this past year, who has some potential. Uh, you get Ricky Rubio, who's a guy who, uh, you know, you could have potentially going forward, you know, re-sign him or whatever. He's like a good stopgap point guard if there ever was one. And then one first-round pick. Uh, I think that would probably be about the, the stopping point for what the Jazz would be willing to give up for like a team that's already so good to begin with. But that's kind of just my takeaway. All in all, though, like I definitely see why all parties involved would do it. I just think maybe instead of that second first round pick that Utah would be sending to Memphis, maybe just replace that with like a couple other second rounders or something like that. I don't know what um, what the Jazz's you know draft pick cash is looking like at this point, but if they have like a couple extra second rounders, maybe throw those in, and that would probably sweeten the pot enough. But I like this one. I, I actually like it a lot. It lets you know the Knicks in particular kind of get out from some guys that. Either they don't have an advantage to re-sign like Vonley uh, and potentially Moutier because they might have to waive his cap hit and then just a guy that they just want off the team, period, and canter. So I, I like it quite a bit. All right, uh, let's get into it. Sixth and final trade in part one of the trade bag pod. It is the Anthony Davis dream trade. All right, so your New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, receive Kevin Knox, Mitch, don't call me Mitchell Robinson, uh, Timmy Hardaway, oh, he's not an option anymore, uh, replace him with uh, Hazonia, if you will, um, and his Cantor, or maybe um, a bigger contract if Hardaway doesn't work, but we'll get into that next. Uh, and his Cantor, uh, the Knicks 2019 first round pick, their 2019 second round pick, their 2021 first round pick and their 2020 second round pick and the Knicks receive in return Anthony Davis and salary cap hell in the form of Solomon Hill. Yeah. I mean, so first off, like this was sent to us before the KP trade. So we had a couple of those, which, you know, understandable, like it's, it kind of threw a wrench in everything like the whole Knicks world, but you could, I think pretty easily, I mean, without running it through the, the trade machine, I think you could fairly easily sub out the Hardaway here and replace it with Lance Thomas and Mario Hazonia. And I think that would be enough salary to make that work. Uh, maybe even just one of them by themselves, but I, I don't think that would quite be enough. Cantor, I know, is like 18 million. Knox is like four and a half. Mitch is one and a half. And Hardaway was like 18. AD is like 26, 27. And Solomon Hill is making like 12. So I, I think you'd probably have to do both Lance and Hazonia. However, I mean, that would probably be more intriguing to the Pelicans based off what we know about what they're looking for, because we know that they're looking for cap relief now based off of all these leaks about the Lakers trades. So to me, I mean, I think I think it would be a pretty good trade. The only thing that gives me some pause is that you'd be giving up all those assets and then you would probably have to give up some more 
assets to reroute Solomon Hill somewhere else, uh, whatever that may be, like attach one of your younger players to him, another guy, you know, something like Frank or or Dennis Smith in this situation, something along those lines to kind of ship uh, Hill off to some other team and make sure that you keep your cap as clean as possible to try to, you know, make a, a Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving type situation, uh, which would obviously be like just ungodly. That would be such a good team if you could manage to pull that off. But if you're taking Hill back, that kind of throws a wrench into your whole free agency thing because he and Davis together make roughly $40 million just on their own. Then factor in all the uh, other contracts that the Knicks still have on their roster, plus the the um, hold for the first-round pick. Well, actually, I guess they're giving up the first-round pick, so never mind. That's that's out of the question at this point. But it would just it would get really tight. It would get really tight really fast. The cap is projected to go up to something like um, 109, 110 million this coming season, something along those lines. So you know, it would it would get pretty close for comfort as far as trying to get uh, two guys like Katie and Kyrie if you couldn't find a way to move off the rest of that salary somehow from the the hill part of the trade. Yeah, I will say from from a Pelicans perspective, I I genuinely don't believe they're going to make a deal involving Anthony Davis before the deadline. I, I just think it serves them to have more information, and the only way the Knicks could, I guess, tempt them into pulling that off is by going like full, like, all right, we're giving you everything, like you throw Trier in there, you um, maybe throw in even like a third first-round pick somewhere further along the line, you're taking back Hill. Um, you're basically giving in like, oh, you probably have to put DSJ in there also. You're giving them every single concession. Like, I don't know how palatable that is for either side, though, um, because if you're the Knicks, like you just can't um, take the downside of even with Anthony Davis, like somehow that doesn't convince Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or like a legit second star to come. And then you lose Davis um, pretty quickly after and you literally traded away your whole future because that would really, really, really suck. So I think the more realistic scenario is some package in this mold, but that's done either after the lottery or perhaps even um, at the start of free agency when the Knicks have a more concrete idea on just how realistic it is that they get a Kevin Durant and get a Kyrie Irving and whether this path with Anthony Davis is pursuable. From a Pelicans perspective, I think the only scenario where the Knicks package is the most appealing is if they do end up with the number one pick and uh, Zion Williamson is functionally part of the deal. And I know Knicks fans don't love that. But I will say to that that Anthony Davis has one of the three highest PERs in NBA history. Um, You can make the argument that he is the most talented power forward of all time. I did not say the best. He still has a whole lot of work to do that. And it remains to be seen whether he has the mentality of a Duncan Garnett or Dirk Nowitzki. But I do believe his level of ability and his theoretical ceiling is ahead of all those guys. He is just that, that good and that versatile on both ends. So if you're the Knicks, and you somehow luck into that first pick, and you have that appealing trade trip, and you could find some possible way to get Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant, in some respects, um, with, with shouts to Giannis, the two freakiest guys in the NBA, two of the freakiest guys to ever play the game of basketball, um, I think you move heaven and earth to make that happen. All right. Uh, well, with, to uh, yeah, to be ahead. fair, wait, let me just, a couple yeah. parting shots here. 
to be fair to your PER point, though, I agree. Anthony Davis is phenomenal. I just always like to bring up with PER that Ennis Cantor consistently places in like the above average measure of PER. And he is like their exception to prove the rule. And I always find that very entertaining, but it's not like the perfect catch all stat. It's still pretty good. But I just like to always point out that Ennis Cantor consistently gets like a 22 PER, which is considered in very good territory. Um, But to your point, like about, about it would have to be Zion to get the trade done. I don't even necessarily know if I believe that because like right now, the rumor is that the Lakers are, are, you know, that first off the Pelicans are like being spiteful and making the Lakers, I think give up more than they would make any other team give up because they don't like that. The Lakers are sort of like the masterminds behind this whole Anthony Davis trade saga, which I think is freaking hilarious. And I, I love the Pelicans for this because they're, they're making this whole trade deadline thing. Very, very entertaining in that respect. But I mean, the Lakers, they're now saying like the Pelicans are trying to ask them for like four first round picks in exchange for Davis, which is just a ridiculous haul. Like that's almost unprecedented, even like Nets Celtics trade territory. Like that's, it wasn't, that wasn't even that much, you know? So, but I think the reason that they're asking for so many trade for so many picks in the trade like that is because the like, Lakers with two top five guys on the team are pretty much guaranteed, you know, for the next like four or five years, once Davis re-ups that those picks are going to be in the, you know, twenties at least. And Davis is still young enough that even if LeBron retires, you know, in like four or five years and Davis is still there, like he'll keep them in the playoff hunt and those picks won't, you know, too often get past like, I don't know, 18 or something like that. Um, so I, I think that like, if the Knicks even just had a top five pick guaranteed, even if it's not number one, that would probably be a more attractive asset than even potentially like two or three of the, the Pelicans picks just because, or the Pelicans, the Lakers picks just because like the Lakers ones you would figure would be later on than draft considering they're going to have Anthony Davis and LeBron James on the same team, like wreaking havoc, even in a tougher conference. So I guess that's just my thought on that. Like, I don't think it would necessarily have to be Zion to get them to do the deal. However, if it was Zion, that would like really, really screw with me a little bit because I I would not feel great about making that deal right away because I really think Zion's going to be phenomenal. But like to your point, like Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis. You kind of just that's kind of the cost of doing business. And we all thought that Andrew Wiggins at one point was going to be like this generational talent, too. And then the Cavs gave him up for. Kevin Love and, you know, Wiggins is kind of an albatross now. So I guess nothing's guaranteed. And if you can get Davis, you would just for sure go for it and get it and figure out the rest later. But yeah, now we can wrap up. I got those last couple thoughts off my chest. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I guess, I mean, I mean, I'm sure there, there are like, I think I'm, these teams already exist and they will certainly exist in the offseason too. There'll be a lot of um, mystery teams that aren't necessarily talked about right now. That will try and get in on the Davis sweepstakes, and until we know who they are, you can't really compare their um, asset collection to the Knicks. What we do know is the Boston Celtics, um, unless the Knicks get the number one pick, because, I mean, the Pelicans might just value Zion to the degree that that's kind of a conversation ender, um, the Celtics can top anything the Knicks 
can offer in any other scenario, having Jason Tatum and just the myriad of picks that they've acquired from other teams. But if they find out Kyrie Irving is going to the Knicks, and in that scenario, like it would be kind of a long shot that they could get Davis to resign, that would um, maybe take them off the table and maybe open something up for the Knicks. So I think it's a good point that you raise, Alex. Okay, and with that, we will wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Um, Stay tuned tomorrow for a part two of our trade bag, a couple of intriguing deals in that one as well. Uh, Remember, we have the live show for you. Um, One of me and Alex are going to be on around 1.30 Eastern time on Thursday, so mark that on your calendars. I'm sure your boss would love to see us on your work computer. Until then, be well. Go Knicks. We'll talk to you then.